BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Come on, would, you, would it be nice for you to be able to stay in L.A.? Most definitely. You know, all my family's out here. You know, it'll be a blessing to play in front of all of them. At the same time, you know, making to the league was my dream uh, from day one. So whatever team picks me up, I'll be. Happy. I mean, do we have the picture of him in, in the Lakers jersey? There we go. Yeah. See, <laughs> that would look be pretty so good. Nice. It would look good. And he, he got Jack behind him. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody to the Lakers legacy where blah 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 NBA Finals LeBron blah blah Durant blah 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 Curry blah 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 Draymond kicking people's balls blah 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 more importantly Tommy you went to the La La Land concert at the Hollywood Bowl this weekend I, I did actually how did you know about that did I talked to you about that <laughs> no I saw it on Facebook uh, anyways yeah. how was that that's the news of the day how was that uh, it was pretty cool I mean I, I like the movie uh so what they did was they like played the movie on this huge screen and then um they had the whole live live orchestra the orchestra that recorded the movie for the movie was mm-hmm. there and they were conducted by Justin Hurwitz who's the guy who wrote the score for the movie um, oh, who won the Academy Award, and he also wrote this. He he won two Academy Awards: one for that song "City of Stars," and then one for the overall score. Um, so he was the conductor, 
And it was really good, dude. It was like, and there was like fireworks. It was like a really awesome show. And weirdly, I've never been to the Hollywood Bowl, although I'm from LA oh, really? and I've lived in LA my pretty much my <laughs> whole life. It was my first time. No, yeah, I've been to like a DreamWorks one of that where they show like DreamWorks scenes in old movies and then they have the orchestra play the live music and it's actually really yeah. cool. For the La La Land one, did they have actual performers and dancers? Though? They did. For the first song, the Another Day of Sun, they had... Um, both the people who were the singers for those songs and also the people who were the dancers, like the people you saw in, oh. in the uh, in the movie, those were not actually the singers, apparently. Those were just the dancers. Mm-hmm. So they had both of those people there. And then most of the rest of the movie, um, I mean, you don't realize how much just like ambient music there is in that movie, right? There's obviously like mm-hmm. the big musical numbers, but there's just a lot of ambient music and they were like pretty close to being on point. Justin Hurwitz was like, when he, when he got up there, he was like, okay, so we're just going to play the movie and we're not going <laughs> to stop it. And hopefully I don't mess this up. <laughs> so he did, he, they did a really, really good job with it. That's awesome. Anyways, Lonzo ball has a scheduled workout with the Lakers. Did you like my segue? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's actually the bigger news of the day. Originally it was stated that he was scheduled to work out on June 9th, but they actually bumped it up to June 7th. So Tommy, how are you feeling about that concrete workout? I feel pretty good about it. Me too, dude. I'm actually really, really excited. And then, you know, slowly but surely, we're getting more concrete info on these top prospects workouts and the Lakers plans for each of them. De'Aaron Fox has a scheduled workout mid-June, which I think is pretty late, but whatever. And obviously, as was originally reported, they're not going to be working out against each other, but who cares? Yeah, before we get started, though, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many times you'll see Luke Walton coach with big baller brand slippers this season in game. Because are you really a coach if you're not wearing $200 big baller brand sliders? No. That was rhetorical, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that is correct. So today on today's show, we are going to have Mark Whittington from What's on Draft podcast and LibertyBallers.com to speak about the NBA draft as a whole, but more importantly and succinctly on Lonzo Ball and his three-part series on Lonzo Ball and how he got a rebuttal on that, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll have a little fun debate. Um, But quickly, I just wanted to run through some quick Lakers news. And Tommy, just give me your one-word answers and feelings on each of these. Um, Lonzo Ball is scheduled to work out with the Lakers. Fantastic. Lamar Odom's been watching Lakers draft workout scrimmages and looking well and doing good, and he also wants to be part of the Lakers coaching staff questionable (laughs) Lakers hired new player development coach Miles Simon who has some great cachet around the league and learned under Lute Olsen he was from the Arizona Wildcats along with uh you know Luke Walton and he helped serve under Lute Olsen's staff from 2005 until 2008 and he's now going to be a player development coach under Luke good hire with a hyphen in between so it's one word Nice. Uh, Julius Randle is looking svelte as all hello kitty lit nice and yeah that's it lakers are well underway with their summer leading up to the draft free agency and summer league so it's looking all well and good and we got the nba finals going on so june should be a fun month with that said we will turn it over to our interview with mark whittington right after the turn yeah i'm pretty quiet you know humble i don't like to be on the cameras like that but uh He's been like that my whole life, so it's nothing new for me. I keep telling everybody that. They're like, how do you how do you deal with it? I mean, it's nothing new. So um, he's always been like that, and if he was acting different, then I'd probably act a little bit more strange. 
All right. So today we have Mark Whittington from LibertyBallers.com and the What's on Draft podcast, along with Coles Wicker on to talk some NBA draft and more specifically, some more Alonzo Gonzo. Mark, welcome to the show. You have become public enemy number one of the Lakers' Lonzo Ball stand hive over the last couple of weeks with your three-part series breaking down Lonzo Ball's game for the Sixers, actually. It's since gotten even more traction since uh, Tim from Laker Film Room, Cranjus McBasketball, did an 11-part dissertation annotating each one of your points and notes. We'll get to that in a bit, but Mark, I just wanted to introduce you, and if you want to plug anything of yours and any other sites you're a part of, go ahead and do that. No, that's that's it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're what's on draft. We're trying to do a bunch of podcasts each week. Um, so check us out there. And uh, I'm writing on Liberty Ballers, which, you know, obviously tends to be more Sixers related than Lakers. But um, I'm mostly just covering draft prospects and putting in a, a sort of Sixers tilt at the end. So if you're interested in draft prospects, you can check me out there, too. And where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, just my my first initial and my last name, M. Whittington13. Uh, cool. So people will likely hate you not only because you poked holes in Lonzo Ball's game, but also because you are a Sixers writer. So there you sure, go. yeah, great. Just starting <laughs> off on a positive note. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, actually, my relatives are from Philly, and Tommy was born in Philly. So cool. randomly, it, it all works out. Before we get into the Lonzo Ball stuff, though, I just wanted to ask you initially some overarching questions on the draft as a whole. And we can start with, how is your top five shaping up so far? Is it concretely set or what's going on? No, it's it's really not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> um, That's fine. I'm, I'm struggling with, um, with Josh Jackson, who I've been pretty high on all year. And now that I'm sort of revisiting him and looking at him really closely... I'm uh, finding a lot more holes in his game, and I'm really scared by how unlikely he is to shoot, or how unlikely I find him to be to shoot at any rate. I kind of he I had him sort of second or third on my board almost all year long, and now I'm dropping him down to somewhere, and I'm not I'm not sure really where he'll fall. So that's sort of throwing a wrench in things. I think Tommy concurs, right, Tommy? <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty much pretty much on board with that. That's actually kind of the same trajectory I've, I've I feel like I've had over the course of the uh, I don't know last couple of months. So if Josh Jackson is moving down, I guess right now, can you give me like a vague number one, two, three? Yeah, my I mean my one is the same as everyone's, right? It's it's yeah. Mark Helfeltz. Um and then I I really like Dennis Smith. Um, I'm pretty excited about some of his skills and um, combining that with his physical tools. I think. He's got a baseline to become a very good guard in the league uh, based off of what he's doing right now. Uh, so he's my second guy. And then we're sort of in that. That's basically all that I have sort of ironclad at this point. I know there's the, the conclusion of my article was I don't think Lonzo Ball is a top three pick, uh, but he's I kind of he might be, I guess. Um, so I, I kind of have Lonzo Ball, Jonathan Isaac and Jason Tatum. Uh, right with Josh Jackson there for that number three spot. Um, and I need to sort of work my way through it. I sent in a board to Liberty Ballers today. So that like forced me to put them in some order, but I- I'm I'm really not sure what I will wind up having there. Gotcha. So I have a question for you. If for some reason the Lakers don't take Lonzo Ball, which is unlikely to happen, and Lonzo Ball is sitting there, and obviously workouts and stuff will fill out our information and knowledge of this, but do you think the Sixers would actually take Dennis Smith Jr. over Alonzo Ball, or is that your preference? 
Well, that that's definitely my preference, and and uh, honestly, if if Lonzo fell to the Sixers at three, I would be thrilled. I think he's a great. I think uh, of all the teams in the lottery who can hide his weaknesses, I think the Sixers are about as good as it gets for that. Um, assuming that Ben Simmons is healthy and uh, hasn't lost really any athleticism from that that broken foot, so. I, I would love him on the Sixers. I think he's a really great fit for that team. And I think when I, I mean, we can talk about this in more detail later, but I, th- I think one of the really intriguing parts of him is that the better the players are around him, the more valuable he is in a way. Um, so I think because the Sixers have two players who project to be very, very good, uh, he will also be more valuable on that team. Yeah, that's exactly what I was getting at in terms of I wanted to know what you thought about his fit with the Sixers. And I think it's almost a perfect fit with regards to the Sixers need more floor spacing. And that's exactly what he gives them. And then Ben Simmons is going to be the quote unquote point guard over there. And Lonzo Ball can do all the off ball stuff. And not only that, but he can also obviously in a pinch play pick and roll, lob it up to Joel Embiid, make crisp passes to Ben Simmons, and they can switch off, you know, playing in transition and making the Sixers as dynamic as possible, right? So I I just think that it would be a great fit there. So um, Tommy, do you have any questions about the draft in general before we start? Uh, no, I think we can go ahead and get started. Okay. Sorry, I actually, I actually had one more question that's not Lonzo Ball related, but I know you said you have Jonathan Isaac in your top five or whatever, and there are rumors right now that Detroit apparently is willing to trade its number 12 pick for a win-now type veteran. We don't really know what that means, but I guess I'll ask Tommy this first before I ask Mark, but Tommy, what would you be willing to give up to get to that number 12 spot? And let's say a guy like Jonathan Isaac fell to that spot. Or even if Jonathan Isaac didn't fall, there are still guys like OG Ananobi or Donovan Mitchell, Jarrett Allen that could be there. What's the most you would give up to get into that number 12 spot, Tommy? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question because I don't want to say something completely, completely absurd, right? Because I, as a Laker fan, it's hard to objectively gauge what you have. You know what I mean? I, I want to say that, okay... If you're looking for a more established veteran or like even not like a more established veteran per se, but just a guy who maybe has been in the league for a few years and you at least sort of know what you're going to get. Uh, one guy I was thinking of was Jordan Clarkson. Um, is that a reach? I don't know. Maybe 12 is too high for Jordan Clarkson, but at least with Clarkson, it's like I think so often you you look at these draft picks and and it's so easy to project like, oh, Donovan Mitchell from Louisville is going to be so much better than Jordan Clarkson because we don't know anything about him. You know what I mean? But like, it's easy to fall in this, in this uh, habit of let's get the unknown who has all these like nice numbers on a, on a sheet and has all these nice measurables and all this and that, but you're, you're kind of risking in the sense that, yeah, that guy could end up good. That guy could be out of the league in four or five years. So especially if we're going to go Lonzo ball with our, top with our number two pick i think maybe i would i would move jordan clarkson that being said again i have no idea is jordan clarkson enough what do you think it might be like jordan clarkson in number 28 or i was even thinking julius randall in number 28 but but i think i would only do that if like a guy like jonathan isaac fell at that spot because then jonathan right. isaac would go in place of julius so that's what i wanted to ask you mark what do you think it'll take to get into that like lit later latter portion of the lottery this year um I I think I think honestly Clarkson plus twenty eight sound or e- either of those combos you just mentioned sound reasonable. I don't think either of them are really as veterany as I assume Stan Van Gundy sure. is looking for. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I think in in that regard, like the Lakers and the Sixers both don't really have a player that that will is probably very enticing to to Van Gundy. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what he's looking for or um, you know what what his asking price will be. But I mean, those both sound reasonable to me. If I were at twelve, um, I think I I like what Tommy was saying, and um, this was this is like something that is sort of a, a, a fundamental for how I think about the draft period is that where the way that like most outlets talk about the draft is that is all about like upside and excitement, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's easier to sell ESPN insider subscriptions to Chad Ford. If he thinks everyone is awesome than it is if he thinks people are bad. Sure. But the reality is if you look through history, there just aren't that many good players in any given draft. Um, at, at least if you, if you do it, um, if you do like a numbers based analysis, um, and, and with like hard cutoffs and stuff. Uh, so Tommy's absolutely right that like, I mean, I don't know that Jordan Clarkson is necessarily the, the right example here, uh, because he's a pretty limited player, but, um, mm-hmm. the, the expectation at number 12 is not necessarily, or should not necessarily be. Uh, a better player than someone who's useful on on any given roster. Right. So, I mean, it seems like a really enticing move, um, but it's also like there's a lot of there's a lot of risk in being willing to trade a known thing for something that is clearly that is is likely to be nothing. Um, but nope, that makes a ton of sense. Having said that, and I feel bad doing this because this guy looks super slim and cut right now but if jonathan isaac was at number 12 would you trade julius Randle for that pick though oh yeah i i definitely <laughs> would. i think i mean i i have problems with Randle personally as a player and sure. isaac is, is limited in what he's going to be able to do on offense but he's absolutely like the type of player that every single team is looking for right now he's yeah. bringing top tier versatile defense inside outside if as he like fills out and bulks up he might be able to to bump up to the five a little bit he can protect the rim he rebounds like a big even though he was basically playing the three four at florida state and um and he shoots or he should shoot i'm you know he's he's gonna have to improve a little bit but he he projects to be a real three and d player who can guard a variety of positions and wreak havoc on defense. And that's, you know, uh, something that you want out of your power, power forward position. Exactly. Cool. All right. With that said, and starting this Lakers show off on the wrong foot saying Lonzo ball is not a top three pick and already trading Julius Randall. um, (laughs) Let's get into Lonzo Ball and dissecting your three-part article and also the rebuttal that followed that from Lakers Reddit, Lakers Twitter, etc. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to give you the open floor with regards to your piece and the discrepancies that Tim found and I guess your own rebuttal to that first rebuttal because at the end of the day, I think the truth is somewhere in between your findings and Tim's because they were both very well-researched and obviously this isn't the most optimal forum to do this since Tim himself isn't on here, but I thought we could at least iron out a bit more of the narrative and your analysis on Lonzo Ball to find some sort of a happy medium, right? I do think Tim's piece added a lot more context and had a larger breadth of sample size to the situation, as well as some more detailed insight into the hows and whys of UCLA's system. But at the same time, I also thought, I guess my one problem with it was that 
I thought it was a little too over the top in its glorification of Lonzo Ball's smarts, which is a little more intangible, and placing very little to no onus or blame on him, like botching up pick-and-roll plays or reset, resetting broken plays, and, and really just not having the driving capability in situation, situations to attack. Instead, extolling you know the virtues of Ball's insanely high basketball IQ every time by saying, oh, he did the right thing here, it just didn't work out, or it just wasn't his fault here. Or it was UCLA's system that made him do this, which, you know, I think is fair context, but only to a certain extent. So with that said, Mark, I will give you the floor to talk about your own articles and then in response to Cranjus McBasketball's um, Lonzo Ball defense article. Yeah, well, I think you actually, I'm, I'm just going to start going off of what you just said, because that's that's like sort of the really frustrating part about like talking about Lonzo is like. He's a 19-year-old kid. Like 19-year-old kids are not perfect polished basketball players. Even like even Markel Fultz has some really big weaknesses, glaring weaknesses, and like for some reason there's some sort of Lonzo hive that just insists that no matter what his smarts or his like perfect basketball makes up for whatever weaknesses or the weaknesses aren't actually real. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it just makes for like a, a very frustrating dialogue where if you look at his stats or you watch him play on film and you sort of do it all in a row, it's like there there are very, very clear weaknesses there. So I think that the the one of the weak, weaker parts of my article, and it wound up being standalone because I was I wrote so many words that I had to cut it up. and I, it was sort of, it was sort of how I was going to start a section of my article and it wound up just standing alone. Uh, and that, that was my, my very first piece, which was about assist rate and turnovers. Uh, two things. First is I used a horrible stat that I, what was a, was a genuine attempt at trying to find better insight into turnover statistics because I've, they've mostly not been an informative stat in, in my experience. Uh, and instead I made something that was totally useless. <laughs> um, I think like obviously criticizing that as useless is correct. And I, I actually, uh, not because of this podcast, but because I wanted to follow up on that, I tweeted about that, uh, <clears throat> this evening, just, um, trying, trying to correct that a little bit. So I, th- I think my weakest, my weakest part of, of the article was talking about how by the numbers, his assist rate is totally fine. Um, and and not outstanding. I guess my biggest issue with the rebuttal to my piece is that he was sort of talking past me a lot, or he was talking past my arguments a lot, um, and not really addressing what the arguments themselves, like what what I was trying to demonstrate in the arguments. And part of that, if it wasn't clear in the piece, it wasn't clear in the piece, and that's my fault, and I should write more clearly. But I think it was relatively clear for the most part why don't we get into that right now? And just in terms of like, you can just lay out what you think of Lonzo Ball like as a prospect, and then we can kind of just pepper in like what your article said and the, sure. the rebuttal was. So yeah, yeah. So my the my basic thoughts on Lonzo Ball, Ball are that he is a uh, well. So my my article was called Lonzo Ball is not a lead guard, which was sort of you know right in your face from the get go, um, and it, it's something that I th- I really think is true. I think he he didn't really play point guard or he didn't facilitate as a as a high level point guard does when he got into the half court in U, at, at UCLA this year. He had the assist rate of one, 
absolutely. In transition, he was a point guard, lead ball, ball handler. But as soon as he got into half court, he wasn't able to impart that sort of value on the team in the same way. Or not necessarily impart value, but uh, he wasn't able to dictate the flow of the game the same way. Right. A lot of arguments have, as you've as you've mentioned and I've mentioned, sort of said, well, he's really smart. It doesn't matter. Or like, look how amazing UCLA's offense was this year, and it's never been that good before. It's all because of him. I mean, UCLA's offense was definitely good. He definitely was a key contributor to that. But I think there were also a bunch of other roles there or a, a bunch of other factors playing into that. I was sort of I, I was going back and doing a bunch of scouting and I wasn't really interested in trying to pick out transition play or spot up shooting because I know that he's good at that. Right. Like mm -hmm. I know that's a strength and I'm confident that's a strength and I'm confident that it will translate pretty well to the next level. So. I want to focus on all the other stuff. So I wound up looking at all of his pick and roll plays. And what struck me most of all was his reluctance to dribble. And it, it sort of boiled down to only making one. He, he would basically dribble past the, whoever the screener was, whether that was Thomas Welsh or TJ Leaf or E.K. Anagbogu. Uh, he would take one dribble past them and then... Uh, usually because college teams are dumb, they would hedge hard and double him, and he would um, immediately pick up his dribble and pass over the top to, um, if not the screener, then whichever wing was sort of popping out on the wing on the on that on the screener side, mm -hmm. uh, and that that was really the only action he ran, here the only read he made, and. That was sort of compounded by the fact that every time he did attack a, a pick and roll off the dribble, uh, the outcome was usually bad. It either ended up in a turnover or a near turnover or UCL re UCLA reset their offense and had to run a different action. Um, and obviously those are all differing levels of bad result, right? Turnover is the worst. Near turnover is just a broken play. And resetting their offense, you, you know, there's more action coming, so they'll run a different action with Aaron Holiday or Bryce Alford running the point for whatever that action is. But when the point of a pick and roll is to generate efficient shot attempts and you're not doing that out of the pick and roll action as a lead guard, um, it calls into question your ability to run the pick and roll efficiently at the next level. In your eyes, when he's running those pick and roll plays, and maybe, you know, partially it's adhering to the system, partially it's like him not being able to, would you have wanted to see him be more creative in those sets and maybe attack the basket more or try and, you know, get the defense on his feet? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to me, it, w it wasn't even really, yeah, yeah, yes, the answer is yes. Um, mm. To me, it's and if you watch a lot of if you watch a lot of him, you notice more and more that his handle just simply isn't that good. In isolation, he can't be college bigs off the dribble. If you compare even his drives, if you if you put if you put together a highlight reel of all of Lonzo Ball's best drives, his top ten drives from of the season, and you watched it right after you watched uh, Dennis Smith, De'Aaron Fox, and Markel Fultz. 
there's a real qualitative difference in handle and in in posture and approach there that really it becomes evident and it, it's evident not only by the eye test but backed up by the stats where he is almost an outlier in how rarely he gets to the rim unassisted unassisted in the half court uh he's very low even when you don't control for half court settings um and it's corroborated by what you're watching so yes i think i i would like to see more off the bounce creativity and i would like to see more patience with the ball beyond just sort of getting getting it to the next guy as quickly as he can Sure, that makes sense. And, you know, I think there was there are a few plays, especially against Oregon, where he kind of took guys off the dribble on his own, but that was without a screen. And he was able to, like, you know, do nifty spin moves and stuff. But I think what you're trying to say, too, is, like, when the screen comes, be a little less predictable, right? And so uh, I'll ask Tommy, like, what are your thoughts, too? Do you agree with these? And do you have anything you want to add to? I definitely agree with all the points made so far. I, I, I The only thing I wanted to add was, and I'm not trying to understate how... How much of a flaw, you, you, you know what I'm trying to say, like, I view this pick and roll issue as a big flaw in his game. Um, that being said, that's something I think, again, this is, here we go with this, like, I, I almost feel like the rebuttal to your argument, right? This article that we were No, that's we fine, that's fine. But if it's like, think the, it, think it. I know, right? But like, the guy is 19, right? And, and look... We're trying to build a system. I'm not saying we're trying to be the Golden State Warriors, but if you're trying to build a system that emphasizes ball movement and and player movement and all this and that, and these sound like words, right? But Golden State, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I saw, I saw a stat that Golden State sets the least amount of on-ball screens in the NBA and the most off-ball screens in the NBA. If we're projecting Lonzo Ball into a system that's trying to sort of emulate that... While I acknowledge that, yes, in a 24-second shot clock reduced from a 35-second shot clock, there are going to be times where things just break down and you need somebody to make a play with not that much time out of a you know quick pick-and-roll action. Um, I, I, I almost view this as not a huge, huge issue for Alonzo Ball early in his career if he's playing on a team like the Lakers, where he has another ball handler with him, or even like the Philadelphia, like you mentioned, where he's going to have Ben Simmons or, you know, MB to throw the ball to, um, Ben Simmons to make a play, MB to throw into the post to, you know, do something when the when a play breaks down. Um, and, and for that reason, I don't know, so much of a player, in my opinion's career arc is about how much success they they're able to achieve doing things they're good at at a young age. You know what I mean? If Lonzo Ball comes in and is on the Sacramento Kings as a rookie and is in an offense that doesn't really make a lot of sense and he has to do a lot of ISO or play out of the pick and roll a lot, I can't help but think that's going to negatively impact his career trajectory. Whereas if he comes into a place where the offense is not tailored to him per se, but they're trying to do things that he just happens to be good at. He has another uh, ball handler who can help him out in situations where he's not so good. It's not that I'm trying to discount his poor pick and roll play. It's just that I sort of view it as, well, maybe we can minimize the situations we put him in in the beginning of his career doing those things. And over time, as he you know develops more and figures out 
how he's going to, you know, can he shoot a floater? Can he get, get his shot off in the mid range? Can he tighten his handle? Like maybe those things will come in time. I understand that's like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. He's a basketball genius, whatever. You know what I mean? I, I get that we're getting into this, like, no, I don't think, I don't think that's up. that. I don't think that, I think that's a totally different argument what you're, what you're making right now. Um, okay. so yeah, I, and I think it's totally valid as well. And, um, but I think there's a really key part, which you said a couple times, and which I said in my article, and which Cranjit also, Cranjus, whatever it is, also said in his, um, like you said a couple times, if he has another ball handler with him, right? Yeah. And, and that's really what I'm getting at. Like, I think he's going to be really good. And we talked a lot all, all year long about, um, you know, it depends on what role he's, he's put in. If he's asked to be that lead guard, lead initiator, run the pick and roll all day, he's going to struggle. But if he's not asked to do that and he's allowed to play to his strength and strengths and he's allowed to minimize his weaknesses, then he's going to be way more impactful. And I think you're absolutely right. The problem is you need that other guy. And we can talk about D'Angelo Russell and whether he's that guy um, as, as we get to it. But I, I like as far as Lonzo is concerned, you absolutely need someone who can be a co-handler with him and um, can uh, sort of ease his load in the half court. Yeah, and I I like what Tommy said in terms of, you know, and you, you just mentioned it as well, like minimizing his weaknesses now so that he can slowly work on them over time. And so that's kind of what I wanted to ask you. Do you think, with regards to the holes you see right now, what do you think he needs to do to better improve those skills in terms of, you know, like Steph Curry, when he entered the league, his handles are not as tight and shifty as they were when he, you know, came out of college. Um, and I guess Lonzo Ball is a stiffer athlete, also because he's taller. So he's never going to have that Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving like slitheriness when he's in traffic like they do. And I don't know if he'll ever have like the street ball kind of shakiness that Steph Curry eventually had. But I guess in your eyes, what are the, like some main points that you'd like to see Lonzo Ball work on that you'd think would help improve that lacking aspect of his game that could really fill him out? Uh, well, I handles handles is really the big one, and it, I think I think you're right. I I sort of subscribe to the idea that in terms of skills, um, guys who are who are ahead at a younger age tend to remain ahead as they continue to develop. Um, so that that's like one of one of the main like governing philosophies of how I I approach the draft. Um, so. I think for Ball, like I would never expect him to be a handler on the level of the top guys in the league. But he also, with with all the other strengths he has, he doesn't necessarily need to get there either. Mm-hmm. So um, that I guess number one would be handling. Number two would be, or maybe one A would be related to that, um, which is something I, I tried to write about in my third piece, and I don't know if I made the point as well as I wanted to, but a, a lot of uh, sort of un, under-tooled maybe um, point guards who are more of a pa- more of the past past first variety. Um, sort of get a physical advantage over defenders by le- leveraging. Uh, movement and momentum off ball into um, into movement when they have the ball, and then being able to attack downhill because they've already started downhill when they when they catch it. Um, and like Steve Nash is a really good example of of doing that a lot when um, like when I think back to those Suns Suns teams um, at the 
at the end of the last decade uh, where he was just constantly in motion, right? He was constantly running, constantly returning to the ball. Uh, and even though he wasn't the fastest guy, he, or the, or the most explosive guy rather, even though he didn't have the fastest first step because he was already in motion and going the right direction, it was hard enough for defenders to, to keep up with him. And, and he, you know, was able to gain some sort of advantage off of that. And it's something that, you don't really see with Lonzo at all right now. Um, he runs the weave a little bit at UCLA, or they they run it fairly frequently, but it's not really directed towards penetration for the most part. It's sort of like they pass it off, and then one guy decides that he's going to attack, and that's their weave. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think uh, Walton can be a lot more creative with how he uses Lonzo like that, and can sort of use that as a manner of. Uh, sort of coaxing some more production production out of him in that way. Uh, and then the the last thing I'd really like to see him improve a lot, and I think it will open a lot open up a lot of his games, um, is different finishing, like different abilities finishing. Um, he he got shot at an actual outlier percentage at the rim this year. Uh, so it's it sounds weird to call finishing a weakness of his. Uh, and he's a really, really smart off-ball cutter. He's a really good finisher above the rim, off off the ball, um, and like that's a definite strength of his. And it's part of what uh, contributed to his really, really high shooting percentage. But he doesn't really have much of a game plan when he's going against uh, stronger defensive centers or going against like real length at the basket. Uh, so I'd like him. He. He attempted a couple at the end of towards the end of the season. Uh, he t- attempted a couple of floaters that were really really awkward. <laughs> Notably, he made uh, he made the one in the big game against Washington the first time he he squared up against uh, Fultz. It was like the push shot. Yeah, yeah. the like <laughs> where he like almost angled his shoulder towards the hoop as he was landing. It was it was. Um, and it went in, so like great. But it does is it wasn't the sort of shot that looks replicable to me. So I'd like him to sort of work on that on that like one-handed running floater. I'd like to see him um, improve sort of his flexibility in the air, um, using the rim more to, and his length because he's got great length for a point guard to sort of use the basket to protect the ball from defenders, um, and and. Stuff like that, and I, I think if he does that, he'll really unlock more usefulness around the hoop than he has right now. Because right now he's he really is a, a lot of the times he looks clueless when he gets down there, and he, if not clueless, looks scared scared off by some of the the players that he's going against. And again, like he's a nineteen year old kid, like they have holes in their game. He's a really good player at, at all these other things. But in terms of like unlocking that next level, I think those are some things that he can he can bring to the table and improve upon. Gotcha. So when we compare him to like other kind of slower point guards or lead guards, like, and I know you said he's not a lead guard, so I'm just using them more as examples of like not that great foot speed in the half court, like guys like Ricky Rubio, Steve Nash, you mentioned, Jason Kidd is a um, apt comp that people like to throw out there. So guys like that, you know, I don't think they were necessarily especially Ricky Rubio, you know, he doesn't know how to drive into the lane or anything like that. So do you, would you think that at least Lonzo Ball 
as as opposed to those guys, do you think his athleticism, at least in space, will he can leverage that to help him get better at driving and eventually, like once he gets stronger, learns how to at least absorb some contact? That his athleticism will kind of help him along the way reach a point where he will be able to finish off his own accord. And and yeah, I just compare him to like like Jason Kidd. Like, what do you think about like those comps and how those guys were able to succeed versus can Lonzo Ball? You know, is Lonzo Ball already at a a better playing field than those guys? I think he surely is than Ricky Rubio because to this day, Ricky Rubio can kind of hit a mid range jump shot, but he's not definitely not a guy who like takes it to the rim and attacks the rim off his own accord. So, does that make sense? Yeah. So I think there were sort of two questions there, right? There was the question of can his big space athleticism translate to sort of first step driving ability, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. And I mean, the real answer is I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I think there's a lot about athleticism that we don't know and we don't understand, and and most people st- tend to talk about it under the one big umbrella of athleticism without like parsing out the different aspects to it. Uh, my my guess is that it's two different things. I think sort of uh, two foot jumping and uh, having a strong first step are not. Are can, can be related, but are not necessarily so. Um, so I would I would guess that in order to unlock a, a better first step, he would need um, either to improve his handle to get defenders going the wrong way, or use momentum or something like that. Um, in terms of comparing him to other point guards, um, the really hard thing about comparing him to anyone is that he is basically unlike anyone we've ever seen. Right. Uh, so I mean, Jason Kidd might be the best one we have, but Jason Kidd was so much better on defense and Jason Kidd was like, you like an all time great defensive point guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lonzo has some strengths on, on defense, but he also has some really big weaknesses. So he's, he's not going to be that, type of Jason Kidd defender, but ball also has some, like he's obviously already now way better as a shooter than, than kid ever was, or maybe, maybe not late career kid who turned into a quasi spot up shooter, but he was, a uh, he's way ahead of where, where kid was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really compare him to any shooting guards because no shooting guards really have anything approaching his assist percentage and his like vision and his ability to push the ball in transition. Um, the close, the closest in terms of like meta big, big scale or macro rather not meta macro, big scale statistics. The closest college comp I have for him is Steve Nash. Um, Mm -hmm. But even there, their playing styles are so different where, where Nash's was so much built on sort of darting in and out and around and on using his handle to get to where he needed to go and being a, uh, an elite shooter from all three spots plus the foul line and having such an array of fishing moves at the rim that it's, it's hard for me to compare him to Nash either. So I don't know. He's kind of just a really cool, unique prospect who brings a lot of cool, unique things to the table and um, you know, will be valuable in his own way. 
Cool. What do you think about Sean Livingston with a three-point shot? Or Sean Livingston plus Kevin Martin? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I think, okay, so let's say Lonzo Ball adds some control to his game in the half court and starts to do that Steve Nash dribble around the basket, and he's very controlled doing it, and then also adds a floater that's replicable, like a Tony Parker. How much does that bump up your projection? projection of him if he becomes someone who's more under control um in the half court and can really just you know be cool calm collected almost like jason kidd and learn how to leverage his body not necessarily become an aggressive driver like john wall or kyrie irving but just became smarter with it and and then also had that mid-range um you know floater and even like a jump shot here and there how much does that raise your projection of him i guess yeah well if he you know if he solved all of his weaknesses he'd be a really good player (laughs) Cool. Uh, Tommy, did you have anything to, to add? I uh, know nothing to add for now. Yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say, Mark? Uh, no, I was just, I was going to give a serious answer. Like, yes. <laughs> uh, I guess the, the main, the main question there was like, if he improves his like calmness under pressure and his ability to like weather ball pressure and uh, navigate around the hoop, I think that will really improve what he's capable of bringing in the half court. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to turn it to Tommy, and let's start talking about more blatantly talking about Lonzo Ball's strengths and positives. And Tommy, can you tell me why you're so intrigued by Lonzo? And we can even start with the most obvious one, like the shooting, even though some people might say like, oh, is that really positive because of that wonky shot of his? But I know, Tommy, you've been watching a lot of sports science videos and a lot, pretty much every Lonzo Ball video. So tell me why you're excited about him as a prospect and what his shooting could bring. The main reason I'm excited about Lonzo is, I mean, like you said, is shooting, right? So it's funny you mentioned that because literally as we're recording this, Coles Wicker just tweeted a, sh- a chart with uh, charted NBA three-pointers above the 24 to 30-foot range, um, or sorry, above the break, 24 to 30-foot range among college players this year. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, Lonzo had 67 attempts from that range. Wow. He shot uh he was he was the leader. He he shot uh by quite a few a big margin. The second was Dennis Smith at 39 attempts. And Lonzo shot 34% from that range. Um as a comp, Steph Curry as a junior, which was his last year in college, took 50 attempts from that range and shot 36%. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm I am very excited about Lonzo as a shooter and I guess that also ties into my excitement just generally as him as this like this concept of him as being this like ultimate team player um not necessarily a guy you're going to count on to go out there and score you even 18 points a game um but just a guy who can be really really efficient at what he does and he doesn't really require the ball in his hands a lot to do that. And for a team like like the Lakers or even the Sixers, um, I would say you don't really know. I guess in the Sixers you have more of an idea of who your number one guy is going to be because you have Joel Embiid and we hate you because of that. But <laughs> uh, if you're the Sixers and you have Joel Embiid, you kind of already know you have a number one. But beyond your number one, okay, is Ben Simmons going to be that number two? Is one of our other – is Sarge going to be a number two? Is one of our other guys going to be this number two type guy? And same thing with the Lakers. Maybe you don't know who your number one is, but you have all these guys – you're developing into possibly being a number one. Maybe you sign a free agent as a number one uh, type option and you have these other guys to fill in these uh, number two, number three type guys. One thing I like about Lonzo is 
you could put him on either of those two teams and he will fit right in. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to develop. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to make an impact on the games. Yes, he won't be the guy who you're going to throw the ball to with eight seconds left in the game and say, go win me the game. Um, Certainly will not do that for the first several years of his career. Fairly high chance he's never going to become that type of player. But in a, in a way, I almost view that as like a, a sort of positive. I like the idea that we we could get this guy who's team first, who could have gone to UCLA. I just said he he took 67 attempts from the 24 to 30 feet range. He could have probably taken more from that range. You know what I mean? And would mm-hmm. Alford have said anything? I don't know. But no, he wanted to uh, get his teammates involved. He led the nation in assists, as we all know. And and. These are the traits that I'm really excited about. Um, he makes very, very quick decisions. And so, yeah, I fully, fully agree that in some half-court sets, you know, he doesn't seem like he he. It seems like sometimes he, he doesn't want to dribble or it seems like sometimes, you know, he's, he's just making a, a quick pass that leads to having to reset the offense or, or you know, whatever. In the, at the NBA level, the, that... I don't know for, for every play that he makes, that's maybe too fast. Oh, he made that read incorrectly because he was too eager to get it out of his hands. I feel like he makes so many more of those plays where he's not making a flashy play, but by getting the ball out of his hands so quickly, it leads to like the hockey assist or, or, you know, whatever, where, where uh, it overall increases the efficiency of your offense. And, and I don't know, I, I'm really excited about the, uh, the possibility of having him is it's, it's weird at number two to say, Oh, I want to go out there and draft an elite role player. But on the other hand, it's, you you have so many other guys in that range that have so many question marks. Like Josh Jackson is a very, very exciting player to me. But if we drafted somebody like that, is there any guarantee he's going to get time? He's going to get more importantly than time. Is he going to get the touches in the positions he in the positions he needs and is he going to be able to convert on those like you know is is Josh Jackson going to be a guy coming off of a screens as a shooting guard in Luke Walton's system and hitting you know threes curling off of screens like I don't know and then is he going to get the ball in his hands to do things that he likes to do or wants to do to develop in the way that he needs to develop to make him an impactful player on our team and I could honestly say probably the similar things on the Sixers. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, for those reasons, I know that was kind of scattered, but for those reasons, I'm pretty high on Lonzo. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, and I think what Mark, your article is kind of advocating is that, you know, if we undergo this sort of paradigm shift of who we expect Lonzo ball to be, well then all, in a sense, couldn't you almost say you're getting some sort of like crazy, like JJ Redick type player, but except JJ Redick with playmaking ability, JJ Redick with on the break, he can lead the break. And then all of a sudden you can throw a lot to JJ Redick. Oh my God. Isn't that pretty good? Yeah. I, I hesitate to use Redick because Redick is sure, sure. But like that type of like, let's a lower impact guy in, in the Redick role. But yes, absolutely. Um, that's, you know, I, I think, uh, Tommy both made, Tommy was absolutely right with with everything he said, um, and I 100% agree. And I think Lonzo Ball is a really intriguing player for everything he said, but I also think that he's a capped player for exactly that as well because right. uh, 
guys guys who without that capability of extending their usage into at least the mid 20s are just capped at the amount of impact that they have and the great news about lonzo is that he's probably gonna that that cap is probably much higher for him than it is for almost any other player who's who would occupy the sort of role that he can occupy because of all those things that that tommy was talking about but is that is that the type of player you want to go for at number two when you don't have your number one guy on the roster already? That sure. that's that's the real question. Um, and my my personal stance would be no. If I were the Lakers, if I were the Sixers, I would love him, right? Because they've already got Embiid and they've already got Simmons, so Lonzo fits in perfectly. Um, but but yeah, I mean he's really really intriguing for for everything that that tommy said and and you know it's that's 100 percent the the case and i guess just as a follow-up i had to that um this is more of like a big picture like broad type thing i know you mentioned at the beginning that you have dennis smith jr as like your number two sort of individual player yep. so far from what you've seen in a draft like this where there's this like I mean, we have not been following the draft forever, but I mean, we've very closely been following it since the Lakers have been in the right, lottery, which right. is, you know, four or five years at this point. But in a draft like this, with this super murky number two through seven ish range, how much how much are you factoring in team fit? Like, would you take Lonzo at number three or anyone else for that matter in that two to seven range? Even though as an individual player, you think Dennis Smith Jr. might just be a better player overall than these guys. I know like when you're at the top of the draft, you're usually taking best player available. But how much do you think that 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 should uh, weigh in as a factor team fit? I, I don't know how teams generally approach this. My personal approach would be um, unless you have that franchise player and you know you have that franchise player um, or in the Sixers case. You just got to hope he's healthy and know that it's all screwed if, if he's not. Right. Um, um, unless you have that guy, don't worry about fit, right? Like, it's 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 like, it's Monte Ellis versus Steph Curry, which is so ridiculous, you know, six years later. But that was a real discussion, right, it, for Golden State. They had a good, useful guy at the shooting guard position who, by, like, all but like reasonably could have been a like foundational block for a decent, a decent team. Um, but why would you ever go with that when you can have what is the, the current Steph Curry? Um, the, the thing about picking at the top of the lottery though, is that almost nobody has that type of player yet. That's right. why the, that's why they're at the top of the lottery. So I think the Sixers are unique in that they've got one and maybe two of those guys, depending on how Simmons turns out. I think the Wolves are unique in that they have one of those guys. And other than that, I think every team should be looking for whoever that guy can be. Um, so, so go ahead. What, what if in our delusional state as Lakers fans, we believe that we have them in Brandon Ingram and D'Angelo Russell? Okay, let, let, let's just play my hypothetical and say we, we can equate one day, their learning trajectory may not be the same as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, but let's say one day they do get to that level, may, maybe next year, or maybe two years from now, let's say they do become those anchor points. Then would you say, okay, Lonzo Ball, he's the glue that meshes everything together and they got a squad. 
Yeah, sure. But I, I would also say, I mean, I think there are two guys who I would feel okay like making that bet on in this draft. And after that, I would start to look towards Lonzo Ball. So okay. I like to me, it's look for those, look for that guy, but then also look for guys who can be really useful and really valuable, um, and who can work towards being helpful with with that guy when when you get him. I mean, cool. the the Celtics and the Rockets, I think, are two really good examples of just sort of, and the Celtics haven't quite gotten there yet, but they're they're starting to get close um, of of stockpiling really good, useful guys until they can finally turn them into that actual guy, right? Like mm-hmm. the Rockets with with James Harden, and the Celtics, if they're not there, maybe it'll be faults. Maybe they'll flip faults for someone else. Um, Maybe, maybe they'll get Luka Doncic next year, and it'll be him. You know, there. I think there's also value in stockpiling really uh, useful, valuable guys, and then turning them into the the one guy you need. Cool. All right, let's wrap this Lonzo Ball segment up. And Tommy, do you have any last thoughts or anything you wanted to ask? No, nothing else to add. So yeah, um, Mark, just give us your final statement on Lonzo Ball, and make sure it's positive. So here we go. He's a great player. I'm really intrigued by his fit with D'Angelo Russell. We didn't really have a chance to talk about this, but yeah. I I'm I w- would be interested to talk to you guys again and hear how you think they the two of them fit. I think they have a lot of similar strengths. Uh, Russell Russell's ability in the pick and roll kind of will allow Lonzo to play more to his strengths off ball in the half court. Uh, right. I'm a little worried about sort of north-south ability with the two of them as your backcourt and more than a little worried about defense, uh, defensive ability mm-hmm. um, if they're your backcourt. But I really like the shooting that they bring. I really like the the unselfishness and the passing vision and um, the passing gusto. And um, he's, I mean, there's... There's a reason that Lonzo Ball is the most talked about prospect this year, and it's not LeVar Ball. It's <laughs> it's that he's a really, really cool, interesting, unique prospect who makes everyone think a lot. And like that is super, super fun and super interesting and is going to be a lot of fun to have on your team for the next eight years or nine years or longer, however long he stays there. Cool. Let's leave it at that. Those were good words. Thanks, Mark. Uh, before we let you go, though, I wanted to ask you some quick fire questions on the later round prospects and you know we also have a number 28 pick and i was wondering what your thoughts were on the bigs of this draft because what do you think contributes to the glut of bigs this year being pushed down into that 14 to 30 range obviously it's due in part to the great crop of like guard and wing prospects in this year's draft but it feels crazy to me how there are legitimately no prototypical big prospects in the lotto this year. Do you think that's a combo of the changing landscape of the NBA or in order to be a lotto big in terms of you need to have both length, size, plus skill and shooting? Or are the bigs in this draft mostly too raw and not lotto worthy anyway? Yes, the last one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, the bigs just aren't good, man. <laughs> They're, I mean, to, to me, the, the, like, the, one, the one thing you need out of your big man is defense and most of them are either not very good at it or really really like ek is not even good ek is not a good defender but he <laughs> blocks he blocks everything or he tries to block everything but he's not good i i hate that middle section of the draft if i were the lakers at 28 i would be looking to sort i would take a reach on sort of a high second rounder instead of 
<coughs> instead of taking like Ivan Rab or someone who falls because they're just not very intriguing players. Gotcha. Okay, so because it's so murky, do you think there's a good there's some really good bargains at the five spot this year, just in terms of if you're able to project them out to the future. So I guess for you, you talked about Ike Anibogu. Um there's Bam Adebayo, Jordan Bell, Jonathan Jean, Pasechniks. I guess for you, who are some intriguing bigs that you think if you hit right and, you know, won the lottery, you kind of hit the jackpot, that could really end up being a, a high upside bargain for the Lakers if they took a chance on that sort certain player? Not Bam. Okay. Uh Probably not Pasekniks, although I haven't watched all that much of him. Uh, my feeling is he's not very good on he's not that good on defense, and his, okay. his main calling card is his mobility and his sort of ability to to be a lob target. I really like Jordan Bell. Jordan okay. Bell is the best defender in the draft. He can legitimately guard one through five. He uh, he's smart. He's an underrated passer. He's sort of like Julius Randle in that he likes to rebound and take it end-to-end and has vision to, like, capitalize on that. He's just so under-tooled that it's hard to be super high on him. If he were two inches taller, he would easily be in my top ten. Yeah, and the Lakers just worked him out at the beginning of this week, and I started watching tape on him, and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is athletic as yeah. all heck. And um, it's unfortunate because I was like, man, if this guy just had a longer wingspan, was two inches taller, couldn't this guy just be Nerlens Noel? Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Uh, I mean, prob- probably not Nerlens on defense, but I mean, yeah, he would be really, really good. And like I, I do think there is something to the fact that he has been as good as he has been despite being so under-tooled, and I do expect him to continue to produce uh, pretty well on the defensive end in the NBA. It's just you can't really project elite defense with someone sure. as as small as he is. And then he's he's clearly a five on offense. He just has no shot, and like he's got an okay handle in space, but not the ball skills to do anything that you'd want from a four uh, on on the offensive end in the half court. Okay, I'll tone it down a little bit. Initially, I said a better Thomas Robinson who knows his role from day one and can play better defense and rim protect. Does that yeah, make sense? no, that's fair. Yeah, that's totally cool. fair. All right. Um, what about some wing prospects? Um, you know, Derek White's been thrown around there. Is yeah. he the next Malcolm Brogdon? He's 23, but he seems super solid, has an all-around game. I actually like his shot a lot. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Derek White? I love Derek White. I actually, yeah, I have him really high for the Sixers. I love him in the early second round. Um, he's he's just, like, very, very well uh, balanced. He does everything well. He's not, he's... He's got a good shooter off the dribble. He's a good shooter off the catch. Uh, he's good in the pick and roll. He plays within himself. He's not going to overpower guys with his athleticism, but he's smart and he'll easily be able to run a second unit. He is big enough to swing up a position and guard two guards. He played good defense as a senior. Um, he's sort of weird in that he uh, was a, a D2 player who moved up to Colorado for his senior season this year. So we don't really have much info on, on what, how he played as a younger player. Um, but his production was about as good as he could have asked for during a senior year. So, you know, that's about as encouraging as it gets. 
Cool. Um, sorry, we're kind of going back and forth here, but I forgot to ask you, and with regards to the bigs, I guess if you had to choose between Ike Anibogu and Bam Adebayo, which one would you take out of the two? Oh, definitely Ike. Okay. Uh, do, do you just like his like upside? He's he's the youngest guy in the draft. Uh, mm-hmm. He's eight. He doesn't turn nineteen until October. So um, even though I think he's not, he doesn't really have any idea what's going on right now. He has a ton of time to figure it out, um, and he he has better tools than than Bam does. He's got a better. He's a he's almost as built. He's got a longer wingspan. He's more bouncy. He blocks more shots. Uh, Bam is just Bam is like one skill. He's a rebounder, and like that's what he does. And he's not he's not that great at it. Um, he looks great like dunking lobs in space, but he doesn't have touch or or like great finishing and he's not big enough to be a really big lob threat in the NBA where you have much bigger players who are, who are going to clog up that lane and he's not bouncy gotcha. enough to be that, that guy either. Is Bam Adebayo the next uh, Bismack Biombo? I, I mean, I, I started comparing him to Tristan Thompson early in the season, which I, oh, okay. I think is sort of where he would have to go to be useful uh, I don't know how useful Tristan Thompson is if he's not playing next to LeBron. So I, I don't really know what that means for Bam. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, Tommy, did you have any prospects or questions in this later round that you wanted to throw out before I keep going? Only guy I was going to add was uh, Josh Hart out of Villanova. I love Josh. Okay. That's what I was going to, I was going to say I, he's ranked in the mid second round. I can't help but think that that's some that's a has to do with a little bit of uh you know senior bias i guess but how do you view josh in the nba yeah i really really like him i wrote about him uh very early in the year in i think mid december or something and he's really he's he kept up how he was playing for most of the season i just think he's solid you know he he can run a pick and roll he can be a secondary handler he he shot over 38% from 3 uh over his career at Villanova, so and took took a lot of them. So there were some worries about his shooting before the season. I feel like we've got enough of a sample to say, you know, he's he's not going to be a killer shooter, but he'll be pretty good. Um, just like on, uh, just like his shooting on defense, uh, he's he's not someone who creates a ton of events, but he sticks with his man. He's he'll guard the two spot really well, and and like isn't afraid to like body bigger guys up to switch on the threes or fours. Uh, like I, he's not, he's not going to be like insanely valuable um, on either end of the, of the ball, but I think he'll be good on both and a two way players who bring some value on both sides are useful players and, you know, are exciting to have on your team. Cool. Um, so I wanted to ask you about one guard prospect and then end with stretch fours, but um, can you tell us a little bit more about Jawan Evans um, and what kind of, point guard you project him out to be i know he's pretty small but i heard he's pretty fast and kind of dynamic tyler ulis like but what are your thoughts on juan evans yeah i like i like juan evans too he's kind of the polar opposite of of lonzo in that he gets wherever he wants to get on the court uh mm-hmm. really really easily and um there was i don't remember what game it was but there was a clip that was sort of going around during the ncaa tournament of him literally running like two full circles around the basket to get a shot up. <laughs> um, and he's, he's just, he's just a little jitterbug. Um, and uh, I, I actually, I mean, I was, I put together these like half court and full court unassisted rim attempts and 
uh, he he lapped the field. He was um, he was getting nine unassisted attempts per forty minutes, and like the the median was like four. Um, and and the like that was that was more than two standard deviations beyond beyond the median basically. Um, that said, he's really small and he really struggles to finish. Like really really bad finisher at the rim. So the big thing for him is going to be figuring out scoop shots and lay and uh, floaters and offhand or wrong footed layups and stuff like that. Um, I think he he's been really low volume shooting um, from distance. Uh, so it's tough to project how he'll translate, but he's been um, a good shooter from three, both as a freshman and a sophomore, and he shoots well from the line. So gotcha. there's hope that he can play. Um, he can become an off-the-dribble shooter, and he can play off-ball. And I, like, I think he can definitely be a, a, a second point guard on the team. Um, and yeah, he's he's intriguing. I like him. Cool. Would you say he's more of like a scoring guard than a point guard, though? Or no, I, th- I think he does both. Uh, oh, okay. He's sort of I, I I've said this a couple times this year. He's basically like a mid-major point guard playing for a high-major program, in that he just has an insane usage and an insane assist rate. Like I th- his assist rate was over forty percent both oh, wow. this year and last year, and his usage was over thirty percent this year. Um, I think maybe even over 35% or something. So yeah, I mean, he was scoring a ton, but it's because it was asked of him. I, I don't think he, it's, I don't think he's a score first player because he's a score first player. Cool. Okay. So let's end our show with talking about stretch fours. Cause that's another thing the Lakers will need more floor spacing, especially with Lonzo ball. If they pick him, um, what are your thoughts on guys like Caleb Swanigan and semi Ojale semi Ojale? Um, I don't know if they're, they're very much different. You can kind of inform me. I just know semi Ojale is this super built and buff Corey McGetty type dude who can shoot threes, I guess, but are they somewhat similar in terms of the way that they shoot or yeah, I guess whoever you want to start with first. Uh, no, they're totally different. Okay. Uh, Caleb Swanigan is a center who has been, who, uh, sort of added a three point shot into his game this year and has been working from the inside out. Uh, he's slow and he can't defend at all. Okay. never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's, he, he was, he was like, a stud offensive player at Purdue this year, but in terms of projecting him to the next level, it's it's pretty scary. Uh, Semi Ojale is uh, built, just huge. Like that's the first thing that that you notice about him. Yeah. Uh, he was stroking it from three this year. He's like 23 years old, I think. He's old. Um, he transferred. He barely played in his first two years at Duke, and then transferred to SMU. Uh, where he only played this season. So this is, again, the only real look we've, we've had at him, court, s- sort of similar to Derek White like that, uh, where we just we just don't know enough about how he played beforehand. Um, he also has not been a good defender, um, dis- despite how ridiculous he looks. But he, but he has definitely been a good shooter, um, and he definitely has the strength to deal with worse fours so he could maybe as a stretch like i i would if you're picking between the two of them i would definitely go with with semi over caleb swan again um but i personally don't like either of them very much cool gotcha i guess for the lakers if there was like an ideal prospect that you're kind of high on like what would be the most ideal scenario at number 28 if if someone fell there 
I would take probably one of Derek White or Jawan Evans or Jordan Bell. Okay, cool. Well, with that said, Mark, thank you so much. I thought we had a very insightful, in-depth conversation on Lonzo Ball and got some, you know, number 28 prospects out of the way as well. Um, if you want to plug your stuff once again for our listeners, please do that now. Yeah, check uh, check out my podcast, which is What's on Draft uh, with Cole Zwicker, who I, I believe, was he on this pod recently? He was on our last episode. Yeah. All right, there you go. So with Cole and uh or check check out my writing at liberty ballers and if you're interested give me a follow at at m whittington 13 on twitter cool and also please follow us on twitter as well at lakers legacy pod and please rate interview us on itunes also please rate interview what's on draft because they have some really good stuff and this is the busiest time of the year for you guys and i know you guys have been getting so much traction it's kind of cool to see my last question to you mark is uh do you like watching movies sure do you like superhero movies? I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Do you know what big superhero movie is coming out this weekend, though? Wonder Woman, right? Yeah. Are you going to watch that? Uh, I'll probably watch it when it comes out. I'm I'm really excited to see. I tweeted about this earlier, too. I'm really glad that it's getting good reviews and that it's directed by a woman and starring a woman and driven by women. And I'm excited that that's getting a foothold in Hollywood. So that's great. You know what, though? Forget about that movie because there's another superhero movie coming out and it's called Captain Underpants. So if you're looking for a more kooky, self-referential fun time that harkens back to more sophomoric times reading those silly books in elementary and middle school, catch DreamWorks Animation's Captain Underpants in theaters June 2nd. Mark, did you read those books as a kid? Of course. Boom. There you go. Sorry, I had to shamelessly plug my actual job and keep you here for that. So thanks. Awesome. All right. With that said, thank you, Mark, for joining us. And we look forward to hearing more of your thoughts as the actual workouts get underway for the top prospects and as we near, you know, June 22nd. So, yeah, thanks again. Thanks, guys. This is what Flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins. And little ways to innovate digital processes. 
there's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.